If you have a Bible, you can take it and turn to Mark chapter 16. Mark 16, and we'll look at um, this account of the resurrection for a little bit here, uh, but we'll also uh, jump around to a few other places. But Mark 16 is probably a good place to to settle in right now. Uh, I brought this along. This is this is my family's copy of of what I've told you many times is one of my favorite books, the Jesus Storybook Bible. And as you can see, it is um, it's well loved. It's uh, it's kind of fallen apart pretty much. Um, and it's not because we use it to like prop open a door or a window or something. It's it's because we we read it uh, a lot. It's it's consistently and and constantly being read. I guess that's what happens when you have six kids and they all want to hear the stories. Um, I'm not sure how many times I've read through it uh, or how many times it's it's moved me pretty close to tears, but it's been a good number of times. Uh, and I'm not sure how many times my children have read it or listened to um, David Suchet read it in the audio recordings, but it's it's been a good number of times. And they never seem to grow tired of the stories that are in there. Uh, in part, I think that's because we all love a good story. And Sally Lloyd-Jones tells the story well. Uh, but even more than that, it's because this simple book tells us in one more way the greatest story ever told. The story that we are a part of, that's at the center of the reason for which God created the world. It's the story of the rescue plan that he has. It's the story, as Sally Lloyd-Jones says, of the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love of God. It tells the, the story of the gospel, which is a story that has the power to change us, to change us and to eternally change us. It's the story that all of Scripture is about and that all of creation is longing to see completed. It's a story that we can't wear out. It's a story that we tell every Sunday. It's a story that we try to live out every day of our lives. And it's a story that we celebrate in a unique and special way uh, whenever Easter comes around. And so I simply want to tell you the story again, at least a few parts of it, just remind you about it. I want to tell you the story not because you've never heard it, but because we all need to hear it again. We need to hear it so that our hearts can say once more, that sounds too good to be true. But it is. I believe it. I believe it's true. We need to hear this story because we are forgetful and distracted people. And if we want to live in the power of Jesus's resurrection, then we need the reality of that resurrection to continually fill our vision and fill our hearts and to fill our souls. We need this story and we need to hear it often because the false stories of the world and the flesh and the accuser are always filling our ears. And so I want you to hear the story again this afternoon. It's a story for all of us. It's a story that meets us in our weakness and our fear and our humanity. And I want to proclaim to you this afternoon that Easter is for those who mourn, Easter is for those who doubt, and Easter is for those who fail. As we walk to the tomb with the woman that with the women that first Easter morning, we're reminded that Easter is for those who mourn. Easter's for those who mourn. Mark tells us the story of the first Easter morning like this. Let me just read the first three verses of Mark 16. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, 
and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Pause there for a moment. You and I came here today expecting to celebrate. We maybe put a little bit extra thought into what we wore. Uh, We looked forward to singing a little bit more than maybe other weeks. Maybe you, like me, kind of primed the pump for worship by listening to Keith Green belt out the Easter song. If you didn't, then you need to do that this evening. Uh, But we all arrived anticipating celebration. Uh, But on this particular first day of the week, celebration was not on the minds of the women as they went to the tomb. We're told that they purchased some spices, spices that they could not purchase the day before because it was the Sabbath and it was the, the day of rest. And after they purchased those spices, they went to the tomb where they had seen Jesus laid with the expectation of spending their morning or late morning, of spending that time anointing a dead body. They were arriving to care for his body and to mourn over all that they had lost. They may have been shaking their heads and maybe they'd been doing it since Friday night, just saying to themselves, saying out loud every once in a while, I can't, I can't believe he's really dead. But they did believe it. They, they watched him die. They saw him laid in the tomb and they had no expectations of a miracle when they were walking to the tomb. And it's evidenced by the fact that they're, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do about the stone that separated them um, from the body of Jesus. If you've ever gone to a funeral, then you know at least in part what they were feeling. Maybe you can remember the, the loss of someone that you loved. And then along with them, the loss of all the dreams that you had tied up with their life and all the complicated emotions that were coming at you in waves. Even more so if you've ever been intimately involved in the process of planning a funeral service or of picking out a casket or purchasing a burial plot, then you know what these women were thinking and feeling. That's where their mindset was. They were filled with grief, and yet that morning um, there were decisions that needed to be made. There were tasks that had to be accomplished. And so they... As many of us do in our grief, they they suspended their tears. They set them aside for a moment because things had to be done. And they went and they bought spices and then they headed to the tomb to do what was in front of them. Can you imagine doing all that and then arriving at the funeral parlor only to find that the funeral director and everyone there is gone and the door is unlocked and there's no one inside except for an angel who's maybe sitting on a couch in the foyer of the funeral parlor and he's telling you that your loved one is, is not there, that, that he or she is alive. Can you imagine what that would be like? It's that wild thought that gives us a glimpse into what these women felt when they rounded the corner and they saw not only that the stone was rolled away, but that there was this young man, an, an angel, sitting next to the tomb. Pick up the story in verse 4. It says, and looking up, they they saw the stone, that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. 
But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. We can see some of the complex emotions that were filling the women and how the angel is trying to bring clarity to them. Focus for a minute just on some of those words that the angel says. He, he begins by saying, do not be alarmed. That's because they were alarmed. They, they were shocked. This was not at all what they expected when they were walking to the tomb. And there's probably a mixture of fear. Maybe there's some anger. Maybe there's despair or just confusion that's rising up within them. And so the angel says, don't be alarmed. And then he tries to clarify what's going on. He says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth. And I think in that, in saying that, the angel is affirming that they're at the right place, that this is the tomb where he was, he was buried. This is, um, this is where they had seen him laid. The celebration of Easter is not the celebration of a case of a mistaken tomb. They, they were at the right place. This is where Jesus was. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. The angel affirms that Jesus truly was crucified, that it wasn't that he had simply been asleep, that he had swooned on the cross. Easter isn't the celebration of a miraculous recovery. No, Jesus had been crucified. He had died. And now the angel says, he has risen. He is no longer dead. Life and breath and blood are flowing through his resurrected body. The seed of his body was truly crushed and it had actually been buried, but in the crushing and the planting, it had sprung up in new life. And then seeing that they could hardly believe their eyes that that this all was not sinking in, that he says, he is not here. I imagine maybe they were looking around, they're, they're, they're trying to find Jesus, but, but he wasn't there. Sometimes we have that happen in our house when there's, there's like a dessert and my kids want more of it and I say, it's gone. And they come over and they, they have to inspect and say, are you sure there's none left? Are there any crumbs? Maybe I can have just a little bit of something. Are you missing one? They say, no, there's none left. And the, and the angel's saying, he is not, he's not here. And then he says, come in. If you want to see, fine, come here. See the place where they laid him. Come look. There's nothing there. And as the reality of what was before them, or rather the reality of what was missing, uh, began to slowly sink in, their mourning it turns to astonishment. And then eventually their mourning turns to dancing. Easter is the celebration of a canceled funeral. It's the celebration of the fact that Jesus' canceled funeral has now transformed the funeral of everyone since then who has placed their trust in him. That's why we say Easter is for those who mourn. And if Easter is for those who mourn, then Easter is a message for everyone because we all have mourned and we all will mourn and we all will be mourned over one day. But the message of Easter is that there is a sure and solid hope of resurrection for all who are in Christ, for all who are joined by faith to his life and his death and his resurrection. Without Easter, our mourning would never cease. We would always be mourning. 
But because Jesus has defeated death, our mourning can be transformed into joy and into dancing. And we can find eternal hope in the midst of our grief over death. Death is very real. Death is as real as the life that is flowing through you and I right now. And one day we will face its reality. My hope is that we would all face it with faith in Jesus. Scripture affirms that it's appointed unto all people to die once, and after that we will face judgment. And to die apart from Christ means that we will face judgment on our own. But we can also trust in Jesus, who's taken the eternal judgment for our sins upon himself through his death for us. And we can trust in his resurrected life, knowing that he has been raised up. And if he has been raised up and we trust in him, then so too will we. If you've never found life in Christ, I invite you to find it today. Find eternal life now and after death. The reality of death is not only true for our own lives, but the reality of death is true for those that that we love. Many of us, even just over this past year, have mourned the loss of loved ones. And others are, are still feel the absence of a loved one who have may, may have died in years long past. We, we all mourn. And Easter speaks into our mourning. It says that because Jesus has risen, we can trust that all who have died in Christ will rise again. My grandmother, who died this past year after a long life, trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I have hope that she simply has been buried like a seed. And one day she will rise to new and everlasting life. And such is true for all who have put their faith in Christ. Easter is for those who mourn because we all mourn the loss of people. Some of us have mourned other losses though. Death comes in different forms. You've mourned maybe the death of of a dream, the death of, of certain hopes you've had the death of some innocence. We've mourned the loss of health, the loss of memory, the loss of hope, the loss of peace. And Easter is for all forms of mourning and all the different mourning that we have for all the different kinds of death that we face in our lives. It reminds us that Jesus is the one who brings life to every dead place in our souls. And so however you might be mourning today, The resurrected Christ offers you hope, hope of new life, hope of resurrection power. Easter is for those who mourn. And Easter is for those who doubt. Easter is for those who doubt. When the women told the disciples what they had seen and what the angel had told them, they didn't seem to believe him at first, at least not right away. And and, and when the women went and told the disciples, they obviously didn't believe right away. Peter and John believed enough to run to the tomb to see with their own eyes that he wasn't there. But it, it wasn't really until Jesus appeared to them later on in his resurrected body that most of them truly trusted that he actually was alive. And we're told even before he is, he's ascended, we're told that some of his followers still doubted. Of course, we all know the most famous doubter, right? Thomas. We recently studied Eutychus in Acts 20, the man who fell out of the window uh, because he fell asleep during a service. And Eutychus warns us against falling asleep in church. 
but Thomas warns us against missing church, of, of missing a gathering of God's people. Because if Thomas had been there, he's the one guy that wasn't there. Where was he? What was he doing? He wasn't there. And if he had been there, then he would have avoided his unfortunate nickname, Doubting Thomas. Which is, of course, very unfair. How would you like to be known for the lowest point in your life? John 20, 24 through 29 tells us Thomas's story. If you'd like to turn there, you can. Uh, John 20, and I'll, I'll start reading in verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Our family was at the Louisville Zoo one time. And as we came near the, the lions, we heard the sound of a lion growling and, and calling out. And I don't remember the story completely. I'm sure someone in my family does. I should have asked them beforehand. But it was either Andrea or one of my kids. or We may have been with, the, I think it was the last time that the wolves were here. And I think that Nate said something like, the, the, the lions are growling. You hear them. To which I said, no, that's just a recording. I have no idea where I got that idea from. <laughs> I don't know why I thought they would be projecting fake lion sounds at the, at the lion area, but it made more sense to me in that moment than the lion actually roaring, which is crazy. I'm at the zoo. <laughs> I'm, I'm right by the lions, but I wouldn't believe that the lion was actually growling until I went and saw her there with my own eyes. We're all like Thomas in, in small things and in big things. We want to see things with our own eyes. We want proof. Thomas was a 21st century man, but Thomas also represents humanity in every century, right? He says, I want evidence. I want to see him and not just his face. I want to put my finger in the nail wounds and my hand in his side. And until then, I will never believe and so Jesus, gracious Jesus, gives him exactly what he asks for. He shows up eight days later. Can you imagine what those eight days were like for Thomas? Eight days later, and he lets Thomas the skeptic, Thomas the science-minded man, Thomas the realist, Thomas the conspiracy theorist, he lets Thomas the doubter see and feel his wounds. And Thomas believes. Thomas is a gift to all of us. Because we all wake up from time to time and say, do I really believe this? Do I really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Maybe even today, you woke up and you said, it's Easter. Do I really believe what I'm going to celebrate? Well, we can't do what Thomas did, can we? We can't see and feel 
Christ in the same way. But the gospel accounts of of Easter morning and of the 40 days afterwards are for all of us who sometimes doubt. These writings are filled with all these eyewitness details and unlikely transformations. We're told of all of Jesus' many appearances. We watch Jesus eat a piece of fish. We hear him speak to his disciples. We sit around a campfire with him. We're, We're told about the time that he appeared to more than 500 people at once. And we're told that Thomas, Thomas, who vowed that he would not believe, I will never believe until I see him and touch him, that that guy believed. That he believed because Jesus stood before him. And Thomas believed so strongly that church tradition tells us that he gave, up his, he gave his life to be a witness to Christ's death and resurrection, that he went to India and preached the gospel to the people of India and was martyred there. The story of Easter is for those who doubt because the story of Easter is full of doubters who finally believed. All of of those who struggled to believe that Jesus had truly risen from the dead eventually believed, and they are the same men and women that we've watched in the book of Acts as they've boldly proclaimed that Jesus truly died and rose again, sometimes at the cost of their own lives. They were transformed because the evidence was so overwhelming. So you may want to see what what Thomas saw. And I would say to you that by faith, by trust in the truthfulness of the scriptures handed down to us, we can. Jesus says that, that we who have not seen and yet believed are blessed. And this is written so as an eyewitness account so that we would believe it truly happened. This is not a fairy tale. And though we may doubt from time to time, we come to these texts, we come to these stories, and they ring with truth. And each Easter, we allow them to to confront all of our doubts. And by grace, through the Spirit, we find ourselves like Thomas. And we're on our knees once more. We're saying, my Lord, my God, you are the resurrected Savior, I believe. Sometimes our doubts are like Thomas's. We're just not sure if this actually happened. But I think sometimes our doubts are rooted not necessarily in the thought of whether or not the resurrection happened, but, but can the resurrection be true in the midst of a world that is filled with so much death and suffering? All the fear and all the anger and all the division that fills this world fills our field of vision and we feel the brokenness of this world and we start to doubt that there's a loving, all-powerful, life-giving God in charge of this apparent mess that is surrounding us in the world. And I just wonder if the resurrection might speak to those doubts as well. Because the reality of the resurrection comes in and it agrees that there is most certainly something deeply wrong with the world, that there is a, a darkness in this world, there's a bleakness that leads us to despair, and it feels like death and evil are about to overshadow everything. And in the face of all that, we might begin to see that resurrection is the only thing that will make everything right. The resurrection acknowledges that we and the world we are in is broken, and it's so broken, so deeply broken, that it needs to be raised from the dead. That we are so deeply broken, that we need to be made completely new. It says that all the brokenness and evil and death in the world are not right. And while we want it to be made right immediately, 
We can trust that Jesus, the first fruits of the resurrection, declares through his life that one day it will all be made right. It'll all be made new. We may not be able to reckon with all the evil and the hurt around us and in us, but we can trust that Jesus has died so that he might resurrect us and make everything new. That death will finally be defeated and God's kingdom of light and life will reign. And so we today celebrate the resurrection, but we await the fullness of the resurrection. And when we doubt, we trust that new life and the newness of all things is coming. It's coming as sure as the rising sun. Easter is for those who mourn. It's for those who doubt. And finally, briefly, Easter is for those who fail. Easter is for those who fail, like you and me. The storyline of Judas, the betrayer, it, it's a sobering storyline. It sobers us because we see how often we are like Judas, how we have betrayed Jesus for the lesser treasures of this world. But it's the full story of Peter that gives us hope. Because Peter shows us that no matter how bad we fail, Jesus is able and willing to forgive and to restore us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter stood before him and he said that he's going to die for him, only to deny him three times later that evening. Peter fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter ran from the Lord's side in the hour of deepest need. The last time that we see Peter before the crucifixion, we're told that he is weeping bitterly. That's the last scene you have of Peter. I thought, what would have happened to Peter if Jesus had not resurrected? What's the trajectory of Peter's life if the resurrected Christ never comes and speaks to him? There are times when people are defined by their lowest moment, that that's what shapes the rest of their life. They never seem to be able to shake the stain of some particular failing or falling. I thought about this in a, a lighter way uh, in relation to sports, where a guy can play amazingly well his entire career, only to be remembered for that one missed catch or that one fielding error or that one mistake that he made in the big game that let everyone down. And I just wonder how the rest of Peter's life would have played out if he had never seen Jesus again? Would he always be remembered as, as Peter the denier or Peter the failure? Or would he even be remembered at all? But the resurrected Christ makes sure that Peter gets the message of, of new life into his soul. In Mark's account, which many believe Peter was behind, we hear the angel tell the women, he says, to tell the disciples and Peter. It's in there. Tell the disciples and Peter what happened. And sometime after those initial appearances of, of Jesus, he met with the disciples in one of my favorite resurrection scenes there on the shore of Galilee. It's in John 21. Peter had gone back to fishing and, and the Lord appeared on the shore when he and the disciples were coming in after a fruitless night of fishing. And he told them to cast their nets on the right side and they did and they hauled in some fish, just a few 153, <laughs> breaking their nets. And then they knew it was the Lord. 
later on, there's this beautiful scene where they gather around a fire that Jesus had made, and there he cooked them breakfast. And so they they ate breakfast together there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And then we read this in John 21, beginning in verse 15, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus came to Peter in this moment in such grace. And I don't think there's any doubt in my mind as to why he asked this question three times. I think the Lord's giving Peter a chance for redemption. (laughs) After having denied Christ three times, there on the beach with his friends and his brother around, uh, brothers around him, Peter affirms three times that, that he loves the Lord. And Jesus affirms that, that he's not done with Peter, that his failures don't define him, but rather the forgiveness and the love of Jesus are what define him and mark his life. And Peter, while not perfect, has shown us in our study of the book of Acts that he was willing to speak up for Christ. He was willing to even lay down his life for Christ and he was willing to feed Christ's sheep. So I would say brothers and sisters in Christ, you who like me have failed. Uh, Easter is for us. It speaks the good word that what is most important about you and me is not what we have done or failed to do but the fact that Jesus has died, he has risen, and he is coming again. What's most important about us is that Jesus loves us. And he forgives us. What's most important about us, what defines us, is resurrection. New life. Because apart from Jesus, we're all dead in our sins. Apart from Jesus, what will be remembered for for all eternity is our failures. But in Christ, we can be remembered for Christ's victory and his resurrection. The resurrection speaks of God's immeasurable power over death and hell. Think about all the power in Christ to triumph over death. And yet, as we stand in awe of the glorious resurrected Christ, we see not only his power, but we also see his grace and his mercy. Jesus, in his resurrected body, just like he does to Thomas, he holds out his his wounded hands and he speaks the blessings that come to us in all of our weakness. Here's what the resurrection says to us. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who struggle and doubt, who have not seen and yet still believe. Blessed are the failures 
and those who are weak because God's grace is sufficient for us and his power is made perfect in weakness. To draw on Jacob that John Mark recently reminded of, blessed are all the children of the dislocated hip who are limping to the kingdom. God comes to us in all of his resurrection power and in all of his grace and mercy. And he doesn't focus on our failures and he doesn't focus on our doubts and he doesn't focus on our weakness, but he offers us new life, eternal life. I showed you my Jesus Storybook Bible that's totally falling apart, right? And maybe sometimes this is how you feel, <laughs> that your life is just kind of falling apart. <laughs> or your faith is falling apart, or it's weak. But I would say that if you're falling apart, but the truth of the gospel is still found in your story, if the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings and the power of his resurrection are written on the pages of your life, then you can have great hope. Even in our mourning and our doubting, and our failing, we can celebrate. And we celebrate not because we've got it all together. I've told you who Easter is for. You know who Easter is not for? Easter is not for people who think they have it all together. That's the exact opposite of what Jesus is for. It speaks the greatest news in the world to we who mourn, and to we who doubt, and to we who fail. And so I invite you to Embrace your falling apartness and your brokenness and come to Christ and realize that you're not defined by that. You're not defined by your failures. You're not defined by your doubts. You're not defined by the death that resides in all of us. We're defined through faith by Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And so we can celebrate even in the midst of all that. And so I want to invite us to stand, Mark, and Murney and Sarah Elizabeth are going to come. And I want us to stand and sing and rejoice in the hope of the resurrection, of the new life that we have, and of the day that's coming when all of creation is resurrected, when death will be dead forever.